You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Celtics stuff live. Alright, we're not going to call it a post-game show, but the Celtics do fall to the Bulls in Game 1 at home. And since we last spoke to you, quite a bit has changed with this club. It's Celtics stuff live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider for audio and video coverage for Boston sports. John is alongside... The postseason has kicked off. This is what we've all been waiting for. And really, it's can the Celtics win a playoff series? And as a matter of fact, I saw something on Twitter. The Celtics in the Brad Stevens era have error. Nice. That was a nice faux pas. In the Brad Stevens era have never led a playoff series, and they still haven't. So here we are. Game two is going to be Tuesday night. John and I are going to be doing the postgame show on CLNS Radio, so stay tuned. Make sure you join us. We'll take your calls for that. But now here we are. It's Monday morning. There's a little bit of an aftermath. Uh, and I want to say an aftertaste, too, John. Yeah, except to say that, yeah. <laughs> but I can't. You're reading my mind. We've been doing this too long. Too long. <laughs> I can't say aftertaste, though, because there's just so many emotions running around this team right now. And... For me to disparage the team, and we will pick out some some players and some situations, and even even to some degree the officiating, which I hate to get on, but I think it has to do with this team is actually still quite a young team, and they don't get rep calls the way that Dwayne Wade is going to get rep calls, and we'll put we'll talk about all of that. We'll go through it. It's just very hard to say that it's left an aftertaste because of the fact that pretty much the only reason that they're in the playoffs <laughs> the last several years is Isaiah Thomas and the fact that he even played in the game. And I don't want to sensationalize this either, so I don't want to get crazy about it. I, I, part of me thought maybe we wouldn't even talk about Isaiah and his sister, but I just don't know how you can't. With due respect to him and what he's done this season and the fact that he came out and played the game, it's pretty hard for me to get too down on this team. I also think they're poised for a huge bounce back on Tuesday and through the rest of the series. Yeah, how many times this season? I mean, that's almost the MO of this team. That You look at the characteristics of this Celtics club. One, Isaiah Thomas saving their baking time and time and time again. Uh, and, and then probably the second most common and, and predictive trait of the Celtics team is bad loss followed by bounce back. And that's what 
game two needs to be. It needs to be the bounce pack. It needs to be the opportunity where this club finds itself, re- regains, you know, uh, the, the place in, in the basketball hierarchy that, that it really deserves to be, uh, given the work that it put in over 82 games. But also, you know, th- there was some weird stuff. Let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, this was a game, like, as you said, it was emotionally charged. I think that, that the emotions took more out of the team and they provided more fuel for Isaiah, certainly in the early going, uh, than anything. And I, and I felt like there was a bit of a feeling out process anytime you start any series, but it felt like this club, start, the Celtics club started in first gear for a long time and, and that the bench unit in particular not doing well, but this yeah, is but, the opportunity we'll for the bench say, for, to for say the to that though, just to say to the bench unit, this team is exactly what we saw them to be for most of the season, right? Benches and ironed out, can't score and rebounding that whole first half, the offensive rebounds and the fact that the bench just totally deflated their momentum that they've struggled to regain until the third quarter. That's pretty much what we've seen all year long. No surprises. Yeah. Well, but it's, it, you're right, but the cast of characters has changed and there's been a lot. I, I think perhaps, and this is, you're right, this is what we talked about to start the season, if you remember. And we said, you know, we were talking about rotations and how do you bring guys in. And there's a whole new set of rotations you got to run for the playoffs. But we talked about this at the beginning because you, you go through training camp, you're trying to find mix and match and whatnot. You get to the first of the year and then, okay, well now we need to find out who we are and how we get from all our starters being out there to our bench guys back to our starters. How do we make that transition through a game? And we've never been able to figure it out, I think in part because of injury. No, they figured it out. They don't do ne- it. They figured it out, and they don't do it. It's Al Horford getting down in low, and he should be handling the ball. A couple of plays in that second quarter where things were getting all mucky and IT was on the bench, but but, but Horford brought the ball all the way up the floor and then began to drive to the middle. He's an excellent ball handler. As we saw, he almost got a triple-double in this game. He should be initiating more of the offense when Isaiah's out. That isn't always the case. Yeah, they try to run it through him, but running it through him and initiating the offense are two totally separate things. They should have him initiate the offense. So I I think the only reason you say you do that is if Marcus Smart is incapable of doing so. And I think that we've seen that he is capable of doing so. So what's the issue? Is the issue Marcus Smart? Is the issue that there's no cohesion between he and Al Horford? Is there some other piece of the puzzle in terms of getting that second unit off the ground? I, I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is. I think partly it's, it's Smart's game has taken several steps back since the All-Star game and since Bradley's return. And it, it, and I, we've talked about it. It hasn't recovered. And, and how, I think part if, of the if they issue could get that, that point, Kelly they would be okay. Too. Part of the issue is Kelly Olenek. You talk about, all right, so you've got Marcus Smart and Al Horford, but they're not the five guys that are out there. Kelly played much better in the second half, but he was disgusting in the first half. Disgusting. And he wasn't able to convert anything inside. He didn't knock down his outside shots. And the problem is he's also not a good rebounder. He actually had, what, three blocks, I think, in the first half. It was the, some of the highlights of what he was doing on the floor. But 
it was frustrating to watch that pairing out there, or I should say the trio of those three out there, because that's why I think that Al Horford needs to initiate the offense, because I think it's too traditional. And they lose in a traditional lineup due to their lack of size and length, and again, they get killed on the rebounds. And Marcus, as much as I do think he can initiate the offense, if Kelly doesn't knock down his shots, he really has nobody to hit him, then he gets forced to shoot him. Now, other interesting moment in this game was Marcus Smart getting ready to line up for that three in the fourth quarter and everybody in the whole stadium going, no, but you know what? He was three for five to that point in the game. That's the hilarious thing. And so the lack of confidence, he hesitated. Not only did the, it's everybody, it was almost like it was scripted out and he played the part that we expected him to play. And that's not Marcus Smart for better or for worse. The cat is going to take some ill-advised threes. And that was a big turning point in his performance. And Ryan Bernadoni and I were going back and forth on Twitter, follow him at DangerCart, talking about that small lineup because I just think it's a gimmick now. Marcus Smart at the three is no good. I know we had the IT and D mm-hmm. and, you mm-hmm. know, but it's a gimmick. It, and, mm-hmm. and if you didn't, and I think we talked about this back in probably January. It's a freaking gimmick. It's the reason I liked Jalen at the two. And I'm not saying that that's what you're going to do at this point. And last week you and I talked about Avery Bradley being the real key piece to step up for this team and make the difference in the postseason. But they're just not long enough. And so that's why, just to tie up the second unit and Al Horford initiating the offense, that's why I think he needs to do that. They need to invert everything. They need to get more mismatches going. How many times when Al Horford initiated the offense in this game did he find a cutting Jay Crowder, who was otherwise not very stellar thanks to foul trouble, but he was cutting along the baseline and finishing strong at the rim? Isn't that the guy we want Jay Crowder to be? This is how he gets there. Well, if if you do put, you know, I, I the, the mix of having Avery Bradley and and being too small, you're right. And I and I had I agree. I think had they gone with someone else, and and who is that next person? Is it Jarebko? Is it Olenek? You know, three minutes from Jarebko early in the in the game, he's a plus five. Whatever the heck that means, you know, he didn't take any shots. He had an assist. You know, I mean, to me, Jonas Sometimes Jarebko, it's just the space, and it's why you call well, for it on Twitter. I agreed with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. Put put Jarebko out there, and then when, you know, IT is is getting pressured with uh, by by Butler on the ball or when they're running a screen roll, and, and, you know, you're creating space, and he gets that one dribble, help comes, you kick to the corner, Jonas is open for three. I feel like Jonas is going to have more fight in him to get those boards than Kelly is at this point. I mean, I, I think that Kelly, as you said, I mean, Kelly had three blocks, four rebounds. I mean, that's, that's okay. Uh, three, three assists, but not, not a stellar, particularly that, that's, that's first half stint, uh, that Kelly had. That's where this team has to go. And, and I love Marcus out there, but the Marcus that we saw, you know, from say mid January to late February hasn't shown up. And as he has, it's been very, you know, it's fits and starts, not consistently. 
And same with, same with Jay, uh, you know, Jalen Brown. I mean, I, I love to see him out there and to see him earning those minutes. But for some, for whatever reason, those two guys have fallen off the face of the map with the return of Bradley. Now, we can say whatever we want about future roster construction, but that issue alone, you gotta have the boards. You gotta have somebody who's gonna get in there and crash. And for whatever reason, since, since again, another guy who's kind of fallen off the map, Jonas Jerebko, ever since the, the face mask injury and hurting his face, he hasn't been the same. So you wonder why the bench doesn't look good. We're just, we just listed three guys off the bench, four for Counter-Linux, who just have not played well, uh, you know, Kelly has, but, but certainly did not play well tonight and really have not played very well consistently for a long period of time. Yeah, Marcus Smart needs to have, needs to be surrounded by shooters. That's what needs to happen. Lots of spacing and he's just not as adept to getting and finishing at the rim. He's nowhere near Isaiah Thomas, but that could be part of his game if they could clear it out and he could continue to work on that. He's got to have shooters and there just aren't a lot of them on this team. Maybe they'll satisfy some of that need in the free agency, in the off season. Maybe they'll satisfy some of that in the draft. We'll have to see. Regardless, we're going to take a quick station identification break. Uh, follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me during all of these postseason games and John as well. I'm at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. Lots of content from the entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio. The Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS fans. And really, just a ton of shows, even inside and outside of sports, not even just Celtics basketball, but you can get all of that on the CLNS radio app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS radio in your app marketplace and the YouTube channel with just a crazy amount of postseason content coming from Jared Weiss, youtube.com slash CLNS radio, high definition, full length locker room interviews and the garden report, as we said, with Jared Weiss. So, John, I think the thing... The thing that is really frustrating is the lack of shooting. But this team seemed to correct that. I mean, remember, at the beginning of the year, they were almost entirely an offensive-oriented squad, and not just Isaiah Thomas. Remember, last year, the three-point doldrums that they were in, they were a miserable three-point shooting team. Then all of a sudden, they couldn't play defense, but they were hot from beyond the arc. They never found a balance. It's almost like they waffle back and forth from each end of that spectrum. And then, I will say, it reminds me of the first game against the Bulls very early in the year. I think it was only the third game or fourth game. The Bulls were knocking down three-pointers. Obviously, they did not start out hot from beyond the arc. I think they were like 0 for 6 or 0 for 7, something crazy uh, to begin uh, play. You know, game one of this uh, first-round postseason play. But then they get this bizarro uh, contribution from Bobby Portis, 19 points, nine rebounds, and three assists. But he was hitting from all kinds of different spots, from beyond the arc. That's really what sparked them in the first quarter, helped them close the gap, and then take a five-point lead away from the Celtics. Portis was a big part of that. And remember, the Celtics loved Bobby Portis, but wound up selecting Terry Rozier um, a few slots ahead of him in the 2015 draft. Yes, and if I have to be reminded of that fact one more time, I'll probably take a leave of the rest of this uh, 
show and go over and slam my head in the door a few more times. <laughs> He's really not that great, though, right? Like, he needs a lot more development still. He's a work in progress. But he was a young player, just as Terry Rozier. But we just were so guard-heavy. Is that why well, you say that? You're just kind of well, like, man, I, or or the fact that Bobby Portis just torched us is the part you don't want to be reminded of. Oh, I'm just I'm sick of the well you on a day you could have had blah 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 you took blah 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 like okay look Bobby Portis okay he had a big game he who was 19 and 9 he was a plus 12 in only 29 I mean he he had a great game zippity doo dah I mean I just I don't understand it I mean if he was so great he'd be starting for those guys he'd be, he'd be ahead of Robin Lopez I mean this is it's just <laughs> He had a great game, you know, and Portis is a rebounder and he's, he does things the Celtics don't do well, but this team does not look for guys who do what Bobby Portis does. We had a guy like that in David Lee and it did not work out well for him or us. So it, the idea that somehow, well, let's just plug a rebounder defender in there. That's what the, 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 and I'm not, I know that's not what you're saying, but you hear this a lot. Well, you know, why don't we get a rebounder? Why don't we get a center? This team is not built for that. Now, you can say roster construction's bad. You can say that, that, that they don't know what they're doing. But this team, they look at their, their roster and say, we need guys who spread the floor, who can pass and shoot out of the big man spots. And they need to be able to rebound too. This isn't just Al Horford's problem. This isn't just Amir Johnson's problem. The whole team, how many different times did the ball go up and guards watch the ball? There is so much ball watching on this team right now. And, and I, I know, you know, Bobby Portis is going to get credit and he should. He played, he had a will of a game. I mean, Robin Lopez, 14-11, had a good game. You know, Rondo had seven rebounds. Those guys, Butler had nine. Well, no wonder we got killed on the glass. But half of those names I just listed were guards because they went back and, and attacked the glass. I mean, I, look, Bobby Portis is a good player and, and Terry Rozier, We'll have an opportunity, I'm sure, at some point in this series to put his own imprint on the on the seat on this game. But the fact that that our bigs got outplayed says more about our bigs being outplayed. I think who are largely better players or competitive players, Bobby Portis. I, I'm just the issue I'm kind is of length in the Bobby entire Portis. lineup, right? Right. Again, Absolutely. that's where I say that's smart is problem. a gimmick. So I, I, that's why I go back to the Jalen Brown argument on that because I did say something similar to what you're describing it was I, I mean at first I think Ryan even jumped on me a little bit you know like hey hold on a hey. second but but not in you know not in a nasty way but I think he was looking at me as the voice of much of the Twitterverse about the length and even so much as to say what you're saying I'm not running out there going yeah we should have traded for Noel and all that's not my point exactly. my point is you can't be five nine and six two in the backcourt and roll out a six four freaking small forward and a right. six seven power forward and a passing center and expect to get that done. You just are never going to correct the issue. Now, you want to have a five nine all star and a six seven shooting guard and a six seven small forward and then you want to give me maybe a Gordon Hayward in that scenario and you're going, you know, sort of like you're not really going small, you're just going more versatile. I'm fine with that. And I know you still get killed on the boards a little bit because you've got Al Horford playing center and it, it's more about ball movement and it's more wing players. But to your point, you're going to get more of those loose balls. 
it's just watching two, three consecutive offensive right. rebounds on one possession that is mind-numbing. And and even exactly. if Avery Bradley isn't watching the ball, what do you think the percentage is statistically that somebody who is 6'2", paired up with a 5'9 guy, who's actually 5'6", in the backcourt, are going to go and get some rebounds that their bigs aren't going to get because the lineup's a small lineup. Just not many. Not many. No. And, and that's, I mean, I can't blame Avery Bradley. I can't blame Isaiah Thomas for that. That's roster construction. But when you're rolling out a, a lineup and you've got, and Smart should be a better rebounder. Let's say that. When Smart's mind is, is dedicated to it, he's boxing out. He's creating space. He needs to be buying into what Brad Stevens is saying. Because I think his spot in that closing lineup is on the line. If he's not willing to get in there and mix it up and get those boards, they're going to have a heart. They need him. He needs to be that, that third guy going in as the forward. He needs to be in there. And for whatever reason, a lot of times when they do start to fall away as, as a team that's competing, he's not in there enough. And that's, you know, that's what they need. If it's the choice between him playing or Jarebko being in there, I mean, that, that to me, that is, those are the choices. Or Olenek, those are the three choices that he has on the table. Maybe Jalen Brown, but Jalen's got to, you know, perhaps show a little bit more to be earning that space. But I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated that the over in the overall team, this isn't about an Al Horford situation. Al, Al Horford had a whale of a ball game tonight. He really did. He touched so many different parts of this game. Nineteen, eight, and seven. That's damn good. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's it's funny too because early in the game, he still struggles to kind of hit that little uh, jump bunny hook shot right in the lane. I know he's not driving the lane when he shoots it, but there are times he sets it up and the shot comes out flat. And it, Carol, you know, just it bounces hard off the back of the rim, and you get. Kind of like, oh no, oh no, I wish he would just get a little more arc on that. But the one thing he did do in the game was correct that. He was able to do an in-game mm-hmm. adjustment and they started to fall. And that's when I really had hope that the Celtics were going to win the game. He did have a whale of a game. It's silent and that's why everybody sleeps on him or, or fires criticism at him. Nobody's really watching what he's doing on the floor. Um, when you see him all of a sudden get a drive and just go and dunk it, it seems like out of the blue because he doesn't have in-your-face athleticism. But it's there. But it's mm-hmm. not how he operates on the floor. He's all about positioning. He's all about setting up the play. He's The only reason that Isaiah Thomas continues to get so much better this season over last season is because of everything that Al Horford does on the floor for him when they're out there together. That's right. And he has an opportunity in, in this. I, I think he's still very unsure of his place on this team. I mean, at this point, even now, you know, through 82 games and now into the playoffs, I don't think he's completely figured out where he fits. He seems tentative at times. He seems unsure of, of where, what to do, who to go to. He knows the right play, but you know, there's other times when like, particularly the first half, first quarter, you know, he's making the extra pass. But he's making the extra pass to a guy who shouldn't be taking the shot. Just say it's an as issue much as him of the experience you know? around him. You're absolutely and, right. And Bradley did the same thing in one of those Marcus Smart threes there near the end. You know, Bradley had the above the break three, and he passed it 
to Smart, who he thought was more open, but ended up really wasn't that much more open because they were closing out on Smart as well. And it's like, you know, you've got to be aware of your where you fit. I mean, we we heard about it uh, yesterday or two days ago. Paul George, you know, saying, you know, basically, I need to take that final shot to end the game. I need to be the guy because who I am and who you are. And that's not an indictment against other players, but it's just you have to recognize in the playoffs you need your best players in the best position. And if you if you ruin that, you put yourself in a higher risk of of being out on out early. And I think today or or tonight, I sh- or tonight's game or or I should say last night's game, <laughs> uh the the issue is that this team did not recognize its situation. Isaiah Thomas recognized the situation. Isaiah Thomas brought it. I think Al Horford brought it. Beyond that, not not so much. Not enough. And that and and the Bulls team one through twelve beat the Celtics team one through twelve, which is not something I would have predicted going into this series. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, you would have talked about. Rajon Rondo hitting crazy threes and, you know, guys <laughs> playing a little bit above where they belong. Um, don't think Rajon Rondo wasn't happy about that win. I mean, he was on the bench. He was fired up the whole game. He's a competitor. It's, it's interesting to see him guarding Isaiah Thomas and sort of looking at past point guard to point guard future, you know, but mm-hmm. I feel like Isaiah really had his number quite a bit defensively. Rondo, was more of a ball hawking defender, never really a stellar, you know, man, man, uh, man on man defender at all by any means. Gambled a lot, took a lot of chances. Um, yep. and I think Isaiah's exposed him just fine, which is why Rondo was on the bench to close out this game for sure. At the same time, he had a pretty big impact on this game too. Um, his, he, he's been, playing very well for the Bulls as of late. And when you look at the experience on the club, it's not hard to see maybe why they were able to steal this one. Rebound, optimistic for a rebound in in game two and sort of a bounce back aside, you can look at the Bulls and say they've got some games in them because they have the experience and they know what it takes. You know, leave leave the the phantom fouls behind in the conversation. Um, but there were yeah. a couple that were very – first off, Jimmy Butler Norris. getting to shoot three free throws because of Avery Bradley's arm getting sandwiched between Butler, who went into his arm, and I think it was Miritich who was sending the setting the pick. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Uh, I think you're right. But they, they, they closed that space. His arm was already there. They closed that space and put Butler on the line. That's a horrendous call. There was also a Dwayne Wade play where he fell down with absolutely no contact. <laughs> they whistle on Thomas. Then the technical that they gave Isaiah, forget the sister passing away in the last couple of days. Like I saw people saying, hey, in this game of any game, Isaiah should be able to, no, I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. I, you know, I know, I know we're all passionate about Isaiah and his situation, but no, you don't get to say whatever you want in the game. The reason that's not a technical is because it's just not a technical. He, all he did was wave the ref off. It's a playoff game. Situationally speaking, no player under any circumstances should get a technical for what happened. Absolutely. And the funny business, Bradley, not Bradley, but, but I think Butler, Wade in particular, those two 
got a lot of a lot of superstar calls, particularly in the first half. Um, I mean, quite a bit in the second half, but but I, th- I thought it really stood out in the first half that you know I felt like all night that there was a lot of chasing bad calls with makeup calls and. It, it was an ugly yeah, game. Ronald got a horrendous makeup call against him. I mean, yes. that, was, that was just yeah. as bad as any of the ones that went for the Celtics. Yeah, you know, when when Tommy starts to say, "Hey, look, that was a bad call for the Bulls on, on the on the side of the Bull calls against the Bulls," you know, you you know, you've crossed that threshold into an area where no one's really comfortable. But the fact is, is that the the, the referees did such a poor job that you know. Tommy's actually willing to see both sides of it. Um, you know, I, I just just to, to make one more comment about this, uh, you know, as I'm looking at this, you know, once again, you know, we talked about the bench. We talked about the guards. The bigs on this team have got to, to be um, – they've got to do what they can do. They have to be bigger. <laughs> they've got to be bigger, but – but no, but they got to, you know. No, I don't mean bigger look, in size. I mean, they have to play bigger. They have, they have to, to step up but, to the moment. Kelly Olynyk needs to right. knock down his three-point shots at the beginning of the game. It's so crucial that those first two three-point yes. attempts go in. It yes. would change the aspect of the entire game if he knocked those down. He needs to make it so that Hoiberg can't play Cristiano Felicio. He can't play Bobby Portis because Kelly's pulling those guys 25 feet from the hoop. You know, that's what has to happen. Celtics bigs make their shots, whether it's Jarebko, whether it's Olenek, whether it's uh, Horford. If that happens, you're going to see a lot more Miritich and, you know, and maybe Zipster or Miritich and, and maybe one big. But, but if they don't make those shots and Kelly Olenek going one for five, Helps with that. Jake Crowder going one for four helps that. Uh, you know, basically, Jerebko is a non-factor in the game. You know, Zeller is a non-factor. You, know, you add all those pieces to the puzzle, and you had one big man who did a decent job tonight. And and then you know, Amir was in foul trouble too, uh, so he really didn't get much of a chance to leave an imprint on the game. But you basically had one big, and then whatever you had out of Jake Crowder. If the Celtics have if they have to rely entirely on their backcourt to pull them through this series, it's not going to happen. I mean, you, you need you need both sides pulling and at least be able to act as a counter to what Chicago is doing. If you're losing on both ends, you're losing on the boards and you're make, not making shots, shut it down. Go home. Get your tee times ready. I mean, that's yeah. that's the problem. You, you have to make your shots. The Celtics bigs have to make their shots. Otherwise, they're they're not effective at all. Yep, you're right. And I saw a stat and like Golden State actually gives up a lot of offensive rebounds as well that just don't right. miss nearly as much as the Celtics do. So it doesn't hurt. All right. We're going to head to the break and we're going to come back. We got a bunch to talk about. Doc Rivers, a good old friend and a little bit of a topic, focus of debate only a few weeks ago here on the show between John and I. He cusses out one of our favorites, uh, and an old friend of this show, Eric Pincus. So we'll talk about that and a very competitive first round especially in the Eastern Conference, and you look at Milwaukee, 
Definitely a team that I said I was afraid of. So we'll be talking about that when we come back. First, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Blue Apron and their mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone because Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. And so they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. The best part is it's less than $10 a meal, and Blue Apron is delivering seasonal recipes along with pre portioned ingredients, no need to go grocery shopping for you to make delicious home cooked meals. Customize the recipes each week. You don't you can pause. You don't have to get a recipe. You don't have to get your delivery every single week. You can do it when it's convenient on your schedule. No weekly commitment. Some of the upcoming meals, spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers and ricotta salada, sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot and ginger fried rice. I just had that this past week. That was amazing. Parmesan crusted chicken with creamy fettuccino and roasted broccoli. Baby broccoli and fontina paninis with hard-boiled egg and arugula salad. So check out this week's menu. Get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Celtics. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Once again, that's blueapron.com slash Celtics for your first three meals for free with free shipping. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And as the Celtics playoff push, I guess push into the playoffs is heated up, SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every single game. And with SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, and it's fully guaranteed. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest play of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites for you, comparing the prices, and finds you amazing deals. And... To get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you identify immediately the best seats that fit into your budget. And plus, like I said, every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence, and it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available too. And best of all, this is where being a fan of Celtic Stuff Live benefits you. Our listeners get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. So to get that $20, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and then enter our promo code CSL2017. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CSL2017 today. So John, uh, Doc Rivers, we debated him a little few week, little bit little few weeks back we debated him uh, you and i obviously have different stances but then then he goes and and drops the drops the attitude on our boy eric pincus after game 1 joe johnson hits a game winner and the utah jazz steal game 1 i don't know if it's steal actually but they take game 1 against doc rivers uh los angeles clippers and i don't know that i've ever seen him Doc Rivers, I mean, be so snarky. Yeah, well, <laughs> he is facing his mortality, I think, in, in L.A., right? I mean, I, th- I think that's what we're looking at is that he's, he's he knows this is this is prime time. And Utah loses arguably their best player. 
to a knee injury early in that game, he's probably thinking, okay, this is the break we needed. We've had, we've had everything go against us here the last four, five, six years. Uh, this is it. This is our little spur. Yeah, it's about here. time somebody else had to deal with injuries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And what happens? He, they come out of a, out of a timeout. Uh, Paul makes a, you know, gets the, gets the, gets the bucket, run into the basket, and there's six or seven seconds left. And instead of stopping, Utah takes it up the other way. ISO Joe Johnson takes it to the rack, shoots it over, you know, uh, <laughs> you shoots it over the Clippers, uh, finish at the rim, and they win the game. And so he gets he gets salty about it in the post game. He's mad, obviously frustrated, angry. And then uh, you know Eric Pincus, who uh, long time Celtic stuff live uh, friend of the show, and and certainly somebody who has come to you know some pretty good acclaim recently as as a guy who really knows the cap and understands the league. Uh, a Lakers fan at heart, but someone who's covered the Clippers for well longer than we've done this show. Uh, so certainly a guy who understands how it all works. And he, you know, asks a very simple question of Doc, which is, you know, did, was there any consideration of, of not, you know, going for, uh, you know, holding, holding that final shot to run it out so that way Utah didn't have a chance to, uh, to come back to win. And Doc basically completely well, treats him like that. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Oh my yeah. God. I've never heard him be, he's always so positive, even if he's faking it. And it was very respectful on Eric's part. I mean, you know, we, you and I have heard reporters kind of ask a dumb question, you know, a leading question, a question. Baiting that, that, question. That can, yes. That, that was not it at all. And Doc, having been around the Clippers for as long as he has, no, should know Eric by this point to know, that's not his game. He's not trying to, you know, sell newspapers and, and, you know, clicks and all that. He, he just wants to understand. As a matter of fact, the, Eric would like a job in the front office of an yes, NBA franchise. Right. The, the last thing on Eric's mind is to be antagonistic. If anything, exactly. it's to ask good questions that show that he's a thinker and understands the game. And that was one of these questions that's precisely what do you do as a coach? And, and, and Doc even said, show me a coach who doesn't say you take the, do take the two points and then you let your defense. Now I think that's probably likely true, but you can't tell me that there isn't a consideration for using up as much of the clock as possible. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's lunacy to, uh, to think that somehow, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, I told Eric this last night, the other night when, when the game was going after, after the game, I said, Hey, look, you know, it's ridiculous. You know, you asked the, the question I was thinking that as it was going on, why don't you just hold the ball, finish it up, and that way you can tie it to not give them a chance to lose this game. They already lost arguably their best player, if not their second best player. The more, the longer this game goes, the more chances you have to score without you know, Rudy Gobert on the floor, you have a better chance to win. So just extend the game. Don't, <laughs> don't let them get another possession. And yet, you know, apparently according to Doc, no one does this. How could you even think that? That's insane. You know, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know, and said that over and over and over again. It's just, I, 
I don't understand it. I don't understand where he's coming from. And I think it's a sign, really, that Doc is perhaps not just his team, perhaps Doc himself is, is has a short window there in L.A. He's definitely feeling the pressure. But, I, you know, you and I talked about this briefly before we hopped on air. If you watch the full interview and you look at the expression on Doc Rivers' face before that press conference even starts, you know how sometimes they capture the first, like, 30, 60 seconds. They're just sitting at the podium waiting for, you know, the audiovisual to get hooked up and they get the go and then somebody passes the mic around. And Doc just has... Probably one of the sourest looks on his face I've ever seen. Like, it, and and so to your point, yeah, he must be staring, you know, the end of an era. Something else is going on. Maybe that's not it. Maybe maybe he got into it with the players on the bench. Maybe he told them to do something that they didn't do. But if you look at that first quiet thirty to sixty seconds before the press conference actually starts, just the look on his face, the where the way he's staring off, he's. I've never seen him look like that. Usually he's got that pretend smile or he's just kind of stoic looking. That was not the case. He was something, he was brooding. Something was going on in his mind while he's sitting there. Wait, and so I don't even think, it didn't even matter what the question was coming from Eric. I think he was just looking at some, for somebody to take that out on. Whatever he was stewing about needed to come out and he lambasted somebody at the first opportunity. But it's so undock like. So, Whatever the stressor was, it got to him. We'll find out as the rest of the postseason goes on just how much of a stressor. The truth is, is the Clippers really don't stand a chance at representing the Western Conference in the finals. They have all the pieces, but they're just vulnerable. They're, you know, they're just vulnerable. And at the end of the day, it's going to crack. And they're up against, I mean, look at how San Antonio has survived without Tim Duncan. Look at look at what that team is, and then we already know what the Golden State Warriors are, and they're just going to get stronger as Durant gets more and more healthy. So they've they got have, a really hard path. They have to win the first round series, and they but, have pieces, but they don't have. I don't think they have the right pieces, and I think that's been the pieces their don't issue. fit. Yeah, right, exactly, that, and that's been the issue since almost day one, since they brought Chris Paul in, and. The game started to change. Two years ago, they should have moved on from, uh, from Blake Griffin. And having, not having done that, now they're gonna let, he's gonna walk away for nothing, pretty much. Well, another organization that seems to be at a similar crossroads for different reasons, the New York Knicks. We have to talk a little bit about Kristaps Porzingis and the fact that he skipped his exit interview. You know, screw you guys, I'm going home. I mean, this guy is obviously 100% fed up. Now, they could have given up on the triangle and told Phil Jackson, it's not happening, bro. They could have traded Carmelo Anthony actually a long time ago and got some assets to put with Porzingis. And now it looks like they've got a disgruntled super potential superstar. And look at the way the league is going. I'll use this to cue up some conversations about a, what has been or what what will be a very competitive first round, probably one of the most competitive first rounds of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference in quite some time. There's not a lot of separation between one and eight, as we saw in game one ourselves for the one and eight seed Celtics and Bulls game. But length is everything. So you look at what um, 
Giannis is doing. And then you look at Porzingis, he's a similar long, athletic, outside shooting. I mean, it's a little bit different style of player. But this is what I mean when I say that Celtics aren't long enough. The New York Knicks have a prototypical player for what I think the NBA is becoming. They cannot lose this guy. And, and they will the next time he has a contract come up if they don't figure out how to right the ship. I don't think there's any way they trade him. I think ultimately Phil Jackson gets his chance, but it costs Phil his job if he doesn't sort it out. Well, any other organization, I think you're probably right. The Knicks, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, James it is Dolan, a franchise that threw Charles Oakley out of their stadium. This, right? yeah, just months ago, you know, I mean, this is, a, this is a franchise that has, that has really been mismanaged really ever since the days that Pat Riley walked out the door. Uh, you know, there was the struggle about him and him wanting to go to, and the issues that Riley encountered then forcing him to go to Miami and then the dysfunction at times with Jeff Van Gundy and, you know, and then the revolving door after Van Gundy has been just ridiculous. Isaiah Thomas, now Phil Jackson. I mean, there's no, nobody in charge in L in, in New York, really. While Phil Jackson is the guy, he is the president. He is not in charge of that situation by any stretch. And so, you know, you're right. In a normal sense, I would think, well, the owner would say enough's enough. We got, you know, Zynga, Zinger is more important. But I'm not, James Dolan is a weird freaking dude. All right. And so, you know, could I see him thinking, well, if Phil thinks it makes more sense to, to trade poor Zingas and, and get some, some high draft picks in return, you know, maybe that's what we need to do. I, I, that seems crazy to me, but I, who knows, you know, and I think those are the types of deals that Danny has to look for. I think that there's, it's worth, it's worth a phone call, if nothing else to say, hey, you know, what does it take to get Chris, Chris Stapps Porzingis? He's not, his, too his much. opinion, too his much. opinion is not going to change, is it? You it's, have it's a lot. way too much, dude. Why? Yeah, well, I mean, are you willing to give up this year's Nets and next year's Nets and maybe Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart? Yes. I think that's, you would. Yes. I would. You know why I would? Wow. Because, yeah, why? Because he's a 21-year-old, 7-foot freak who can he's run proven. and jump and shoot. And he, so he can fit with both eras. Whether you hit the reset button and you, you know, run younger or you have him play with the older crew, he has the ability to live in both worlds. So, and it's a superstar to, to build the next iteration once yeah. Horford and Thomas move on. He's, he's right. I'm he's much more amenable if you keep Jalen Brown off the table because, <laughs> no, 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 here's why. Here's why. Because if you're already, if you're already, if you're, if you're already going in with, all right, so now it's going to be Isaiah and Horford, then I think you want to go super long. I want, I think you, because at that point you're keeping Crowder, you're keeping Bradley. You want Brown coming in at the two and the three, but but I don't think Marcus fits in quite as well. But with Isaiah there, you know, then and Bradley's still there, because that's what's going to happen. If you trade both of those picks and you get Porzingis and he's still on a rookie deal, I don't think you have quite as much of a cap issue. Uh, well, re-signing, yeah, but, and if but, you get rid of Smart, you buy more time for that. So you can re-sign Thomas and Bradley when their contracts but, are up and Crowder. 
But I think part of the issue is that you're not gonna you're not gonna get a hold of Porzingis unless you take Melo. Like I think that's the that's the that's the only way it comes the up. Rub. Mm. Right. Do you take on twenty eight million dollars plus three or whatever it is, five that, that Porzingis is making, and you have to make a deal somehow that uses a lot of your roster's talent. And now and, Bradley, and now Bradley and Crowder gotta go because absolutely we gotta start building salary match. Yep, yep. You gotta throw, you know, Zeller in there. You've gotta throw. I mean, you run the game. Can we keep Brown okay. and Smart out in that deal then? Because now you're taking on a long-term financial liability. Well, you know, maybe, he is a talented player despite the I, fact that he's aging. I think you hold on to some assets. So, is it the 18 pick? Is it smart? Is it brown? I mean, I, I'm not, I think, I don't think it's nearly as costly if you take on Mello's deal and you give well, them, a, you know, maybe it's you give them a lot of young players and picks and you get back Carmelo and you get Porzingis. Now, well, if you're getting you both want, of those guys, look who's immediately expendable. I mean, let's just look at the starting right. lineup right now. You have it in that case, you've got Mello and Porzingis and Horford and Thomas. So you mm-hmm. have forward, center, small forward, and point guard. So who could be an off guard? So you really want to keep a ball distributing, potentially sort of facilitating shooting guard. So we don't have one of those. <laughs> you want to keep smart, I guess, right? You well, want a defensive-minded, larger shooting guard that can play, you know, that can th- – you know, sort of like how we saw the game end, even though Smart was at the three and then Bradley was still out there. So, again, that immediately points. I think it's Smart. So that's what I think the starting lineup is. It's Smart, Thomas, Mello, Porzingis, Horford, and then that immediately makes Bradley and Crowder expendable. Jalen Brown is the best bench piece for the future in that scenario because he can play the two through the four. So he does and – he, and he's athletic. So if you could keep him, that would be best. But then everybody else is is pretty much there for the taking. But, again, it, it, it makes Crowder and Bradley the most expendable pieces. Yeah, I would agree with that. The only thing I would say, too, though, is I think that um, more than likely, I think that, that what you'll probably see is that – I feel like Smart is a guy that Phil Jackson would like, a bigger point guard. You know, that's kind of the the mold for the uh, when it comes to the triangle. You have the bigger point guard who can you know kind of run from the top and and oversee the top of the D. And I don't know. And, and as a passer, you know, certainly he plays into those instincts. Defensively, he's strong. Um, he's not quite the shooter that usually you need in that position, but it's hard telling. You know. But having having said that, it's not bad to have a guy like Christoph Porzingis in the triangle too. But you know, maybe the maybe the bed's been made there. I I, I can't imagine that. I mean, I think we're, we're all this stuff. You know, one millionth of one percent is the likelihood of all this happening. But like you said, you start walking down that road and you say, okay, well, you know, maybe there is a path there that makes sense. You know, the Knicks do need to hit the reset button. Is is there any chance that they're going to get? You know, if they got somehow the top, the number one pick and the number four pick, you know, using their own pick and they got the Celtics pick, 
you know, with that, that helps them hit the reset button. If they get an 18 pick and their own pick, okay, now, you know, now you can see there's something to build for. The thing is, Phil Jackson's an old man. How long is he going to want to stick around to rebuild this club? I mean, he's talking about how we have to rebuild. We have to change the culture. We have to do all these things. Well, who's going to be around for that if you do it via draft picks? So, the, you know, if, if you're just saying that to get rid of Mello, well, the problem is, is you've cut down Mello at the knees so often, he's not worth much. It, it's a really screwed up situation. But, hey, if for no other reason than it gives Danny Ainge an opportunity to call up Phil Jackson, and there's, there's as I said, one one millionth of a chance that, that Porzingis could be moved to Boston, I think, I think you, you make that phone call, you know, yesterday. Yeah, it's almost like the pieces you'd have to like pick up Kelly Olynyk. Well, you, you'd have to re-sign Kelly, and his money makes the deal work. And I think if you if you match whatever it is, you know, or you do the qualifying offer, he gets another offer, you match it. Let's say it's in that. What did what did Jared Weiss say? Twelve million, fifteen million, something like that. I think so. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's say it. Let's say it's twelve. That puts you right in the sweet spot for a Bradley Crowder smart Olenek trade for Anthony and Porzingis straight up. Which makes yeah. some sense because if you're going to do the Porzingis and Anthony trade, you're not signing a max free agent. You're just moving Kelly Olenek. And it wouldn't happen right away. It would have to happen later. And they're probably going to make more of a move towards signing a max free agent than making this deal. But it, mm-hmm. it could be a backup plan. And the truth is, is they're not going to give up on Porzingis after one missed, you know, end of the season exit interview. It's going to be a long and tumultuous off-season road for anything like this to materialize. We're kind of dreaming a little bit here. Um but I don't know if you noticed, but we keep Jalen Brown in my scenario. <laughs> well, I, I do think – I think that that a guy like Marcus Smart makes a lot of sense for the Knicks. And you a, know, and a you, pick is you put him next to, to Fultz, you put him, put him next to Paul. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to – if you're going to – if they get the number one pick, you know, that – what's beautiful about going after a guy like Porzingis or any of these guys that are on rookie deals that are – Maybe in bad situations or don't fit where they are, what have you. It the number one pick opens up a lot of doors that you don't get any other way. Yep. Number three pick, that's oh, a good player. I can get Josh Jackson, or I can get Joe, you know, I can get Jason Tatum, or I can get Ball, or maybe Fultz drops. Who knows? But when you have that number one pick and you make a phone call to the Knicks, you know, you don't think that that gives Phil Jackson a, you know. A different thought about things, you know. You don't think that you call this, you know. I don't know, you know, it Tom Thibodeau. Weight. That's all. I mean, There's yeah, weight. absolutely. The conversation gets started. It, it might matters. Never, it may never get to resolution, but it gets started if you want it to. Absolutely. So all I'm saying is, we use this opportunity. You, we really need to win that number one pick because it does open doors. But then when you talk about Porzingis, you talk about others. That's when. Danny has to make choices. You know, as we sit here and we're frustrated about the, the effort the Celtics had in game one, the bigs there in, in game one, 
there have to be concrete efforts. And and what's nice about a guy like Porzingis is that he fits tomorrow, he fits the present, he fits the need for rebounding and shot blocking and rim protection, but he also allows you to spread the floor and pass and shoot and dribble and do all those skilled things that we need to have done. And you have Ante Zizic who joins you to add as that legitimate big, the, the you know the, the the traditional big man that, that every team needs to have on its roster, but isn't your starter. And you're paying <laughs> you're paying that guy just a fraction of what his probably real worth is because he's on a rookie scale contract. That's you know that's a great kind of potential. Yeah. You know, it's, reworking it's Carmelo's. It's Carmelo's place in all of this that makes it more difficult. Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's, that is the complicating factor, uh, and for any team. But, but again, in a, in a lineup where you have Horford and Thomas, maybe he, maybe he buys into his defensive responsibilities and realizes that with that much talent around him, you know, he's, he's not going to have to shoulder the scoring load, but he would be a go-to scorer other than Isaiah Thomas in the waning minutes. And then you just never know how much Porzingis inverts everything to create space for that. So, it, you know, maybe, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Probably never going to find out, but it's something worth keeping, <laughs> something worth keeping an eye on. And we do love to daydream a little bit on this show. There's no doubt. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this first round before we wrap. We've got about 10 minutes left. Obviously, we want to preview game two and a reminder to everybody, be looking for our tweets because we are going to be hosting the CLNS Celtics post game show on CLNS radio live. First time in quite a while John and I have been live. If you remember and have been a listener to the show since its early days, it was a live two-hour show every Sunday night. Now, obviously, it's a one-hour podcast, but... I will say we are going to be live post-game after game two, Celtics and Bulls. It's a must-win game, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But really, I want to focus probably on the fact that the Pacers played so well against Cleveland. They let one slip away, a one-point loss, and definitely had a chance to win. I think Miles Turner missed one pretty close to the buzzer there at the end of regulation. But it was a game that they definitely could have stolen from Cleveland. Cleveland still looks to be hiccuping a little bit. And it's not just the fact that the teams one through eight are fairly close in talent. It's also which teams matched up against each other that I think is so interesting. Because if you were going to pick a team that was going to give Toronto trouble, Milwaukee would be the one. You look at DeMar DeRozan, and it's his length that gives opponents trouble, especially the Celtics, right, because our small guard lineup. But look at just how Giannis matches up against that team. It, it's not a great matchup. It's not a good look, that size and athleticism. And, and then the rest of the team is playing well. Brogdon is really a rookie of the year candidate and, and quite quite frankly, a steal. Uh, that's been really interesting to watch. Um, and they get game one. So Toronto Raptors may not even be, this is why we need the Celtics to win this, this round. They win this round. Cause I do want to say, I think the Bulls are a tough matchup, but they win this round. Milwaukee has, I, not just because they won game one, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself here too much, but I think they have a legit possibility of stealing the first round series against the Toronto Raptors. And even more so than I think the, 
uh, Bulls have of stealing one against the Celtics, even after a game. You know, both uh, both the Raptors and Celtics lost game one, but I think Milwaukee is much more of a legitimate shot at closing that series than the Bulls do. I think the Bulls somewhat fall back to earth, and the and the Celtics will right the ship. It's going seven, but I would be way more confident in the Celtics getting out of this, even though history says maybe I shouldn't be. I still think I'd be more confident in them than I would be the Raptors getting by Milwaukee. I, I think Milwaukee has a lot of potential, you know, moving forward. I'm just not really sold on their guards to be able to lead them anywhere. I think Giannis is a is a freak of nature, and he's going to he's going to make some new some noise here in this first round series. But Toronto is is a really talented team. You know, I understand that there's a lot of, a lot of buzz for that Milwaukee group and, you know, they, they could absolutely surprise and, 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 you know, play above themselves, but they'd be playing at a level they haven't played at all season and they'd be saving it really for the playoffs. That's a, I think that's a bit of a leap for me to be able to go there. I don't think they have enough shooting, even with, you know, Chris Middleton back. I just don't, I don't see it right now with that group. Um, I feel like Toronto is going to find its level and they're going to end up finishing it up in six or seven. You know, I think Milwaukee will get another one or two, but I'm just, even as good as they looked there on, on Saturday, I'm just not as much of a believer that they're quite ready for prime time just What yet. if they had Parker healthy? Would you, would you sing a completely different tune? Maybe, but again, it's, to me, it's guard play. And, you know, that's, you know, this idea that somehow, you know, we, we saw this, uh, the, the Sixers said this. Brett Brown was talking about, you know, legitimately Ben Simmons is going to be the point guard of the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't know how that works. I mean, I, you know, I know they can pass, I know they can distribute, uh, you know, but Ben Simmons can't shoot. He's, he's a far worse shooter than, than Giannis is at this point. But, you know, I, I just don't, you know, you put them on Isaiah. How is that going to work? You don't think Isaiah is going to be able to get by them when you can't defend a guy by putting your your, your hands on someone? I, I don't think that works that well. But, you know, let's see this happen. You know, certainly I, I you know, worked with Magic Johnson and <laughs> the Showtime Lakers, a bigger point guard, was able to be quite successful. But it, it hasn't worked traditionally, and it, and – so I'm not. Uh, I'm totally going sleeper pick here, but I know you are. Serge yeah. Ibaka, 19 points, 14 rebounds. Obviously, Kyle Lowry struggled in yeah. Game One, but Serge played 35 minutes. Here's the number I'm really thinking about, and I know you're focusing on the guards, but for me, Middleton and Brogdon. Well, Middleton's forward, really, but you're right. The guards are a little weak, but the length, and they start Thon Maker, but look at Greg Monroe in game one. In 25 minutes, 14 points and 15 rebounds, and then you go over to Valanchunas, nine points and nine rebounds. Valanchunas is also, has also often been one of the reasons that Toronto kills us. It's not just that they have great guards, but when the guards are held in check, Valanchunas is destroying us. And I think Greg Monroe may be enough of an equalizer in that case that they can sort of do some gamesmanship with with the guards and trying to keep them sort of limited. I mean, there's no way they're going to limit DeMar DeRozan, and Kyle Lowry is going to be good for something. But whatever whatever Lowry takes back, it's coming away from Serge. And 
I just I feel like it might be a little bit more in the middle than in the guard play than you realize, and especially because of that speed and length. I, I mean, Damari Carroll got 100% chumped by Giannis. I don't know if you saw the highlight of the dunk over Damari Carroll, but the 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 vast difference in ability between Giannis and Carroll is just the same as, you know, DeMar DeRozan would have over Snell or, uh, or Brogdon. Sure. No. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's otherworldly, right? I mean, but, you know, to, but to go back to your earlier point, I mean, Valanchunas, we're, we're at a point now where the bigs, unless you have a big and you're playing against the Celtics, that's, that's your, that's your ace in the hole, right? That's your, that's where you can exert an influence over the Celtics. And whether it's the, whether it's the Bulls, whether it's the, you know, Toronto or, or, or Washington with Gortat, that's where you have their pressure point. You try to destroy them on the boards and on the glass and you hope that they don't destroy you from three point land. Right? That's the, that's the issue for, for the Celtics and for, you know, teams that have traditional bigs. So Milwaukee, you know, like, as you said, they start Thon Maker. He only goes 15 minutes. Monroe only had 25 minutes. He had a huge game. I mean, 15 and 15, you know, all good stuff. But here's the other piece about that. Valanciunas only played 23 minutes too. So, you know, he was, they had, uh, let's see. The, the Raptors had, let's see, Ibaka, you know, DeRozan, Lowry, PJ Tucker. See, I think they try to match up athletically. I think that's why you see it, those reduced minutes. Well, and he right, wasn't, and then when important. they threw in, yeah, it is important because when they threw in Monroe, he was able to mitigate Valanchunas. So then Toronto had to match the athleticism of Milwaukee and Milwaukee won that battle. But okay, so if you say that Milwaukee, if, if you're saying Valanciunas and Monroe fight to a standstill, then it's about guard play and wings, right? Except you have a really long and athletic wing that is virtually unstoppable unless there's somebody in the paint who's willing to take him on and try to draw charges and, well, and block his space. And I think I think Monroe is preventing them from having that player out there. I don't, I don't think Monroe is, is much of, I mean, he's preventing, he's preventing the, the Raptors from having a player out there who can, who can do that. Yeah, I think he equalizes Valanchunas so they don't, you know, if he wins the battle against Valanchunas, then Valanchunas yeah. isn't the guy out there def, def protecting the rim against so the, so, Giannis. And so, so then, the alternative is they don't play Valanchunas and it's Ibaka and say PJ Tucker. Which is I that think, what you're saying? Yes, and that Giannis owns their butts. I, you know, look, Giannis is a great player. I, I'm not. I don't want to be misunderstood about. And I, I know you're not saying that, but Giannis is a great player. He's going. He has. He's very talented. But I, I'm just. It's so easy to draw a lot of conclusions from game one. Sure. And and I think that Giannis, uh, you know. In terms of the guards there, P.J. Tucker, for example, if he's locked up on him, Damari Carroll, if he's locked up on him, both of those guys are are strong players. Uh, Damari isn't as quick as he ha- as he was. P.J. isn't as quick as he needs to be. Giannis is going to be able to go around both those guys. 
The Celtics, for example, have wing defenders who can stay in front of them. I think Jay Crowder can stay in front of them. I think Jalen Brown can stay in front of them. Would they have also a little bit of size to go along with But I'm with not them. talking about our matchup against the Bucks. No. I just think the Bucks. I think they can upset Toronto. Because every, I mean, I don't know if you've, like, looked who's at a lot of the predictions. Lowry? Who's going to guard Lowry? You know, I'm I mean, Lowry had... Yeah, I got you. I mean, there's, there's got a, there's a, there's a match for everything, right? And yep. Lowry only had, you know, <laughs> he had four points. You know You're what right. I'm saying? He's like, going, yeah, he's going to improve, gonna have but Ibaka's not going to keep doing points. 19 and 14 either. You know, well, that, there may be a lot of equalizing to that. You can have pretty close to 19 and 14. I mean, maybe not to 14, but 15, 16 points, you know, 12, you know, 10, 12 rebounds. I mean, I don't think that's that out of line. Lowry being four points and, you know, six assists, that ain't going to happen. You know what I mean? And, you know, DeMar DeRozan had a great game. All I'm saying is I think there's room for a lot of growth on the Toronto side of things. They had a bad game. You know, their starters played terribly. I've, well, all right, maybe, but I've also I see a lot seen of people predict Toronto in the Eastern – I mean, in the finals this year. And I don't I don't think they're going to No, 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 no. I think there was a lot of hype saying, oh, well, Lowry will come back and all will be well. I don't, I didn't believe that because it takes, you know, you have some work on your wrist. It's, it's going to be an issue. And, and, uh, I think Lowry, it's going to take him time. Now, by the time he gets to the Eastern Conference Finals, maybe he'll be prepared for that. But for right now, I think if they can get, they got to get past Cleveland too. I think it's a lot to ask for him. And in game one, you know, they weren't ready, but I think it's going to be a longer series than maybe a lot of Toronto fans expected. Yeah, that's probably true. All right, we got to wrap. We're going to be back for game two post-game live on CLNS Oof. Radio for the Celtics Oof. post-game show. You and me. You, you and, and me. me. Live again, and, and people can call up and, you know, give us a hard time. I'm down. It's a must-win game. What are your predictions real quick before we close? They're going to win big. They're going to win I by agree. 50. I think they're going to win by 50. And I'm not saying it because I think that, you know, there, there's something magical is going to happen. Uh, yeah, I think that what they'll do. It's just the way that, of things. It's yeah, just, just the way of things. We've watched enough series to know by now that nobody, and definitely not a number one seed, falls 0-2. And I know they're not your traditional number one seed, but right. nobody with home court, or yeah, with home court advantage goes O two to start a series. I feel like th- that the emotions of that game today. You know, Isaiah found a way through it. It was his pain. It was his his struggle. You know, and he found a way through that. But his team didn't know how to respond to it because they weren't going through it, and, and they were feeling it in a different way than Isaiah was. And I felt like that that energy really did not serve them well to start a series. When they're trying to kind of be focused and, you know, we got to fight for this and, but really their minds are, where's my guy? You know, how's he doing? How's he, you know, knowing he's visibly, visibly, you know, on the bench crying, tears in his eyes. Uh, you know, that was, that's hard. Okay. Um, I'm not going to excuse the loss. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. That, it could almost be that they wanted it too much for him kind of thing. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I agree. 
that, you know, the, a lot of the comments were that before the game, the locker room was really solemn and very quiet. And it's like, okay, well, you can see how you can come out there, particularly with the bench unit with a lot of kids that, that have not played a lot of NBA basketball and, you know, come out with a little bit of flat and come out with low, without the energy you need to, to bring it. I think Jalen Brown is going to have a big game in game two. I'm not saying because I'm trying to pump you up and pump your tires on this, but, but I, I really think Jalen is going to have, he's going to have double digits and points and I think he's going to have a real impact. Uh, they need him. They need him in this series and uh, I think that Kelly will step up. I think he'll be a double digit guy. Uh, and, and grab some rebounds and play the defense he needs to play. It's just, you know, they have to spread them out. They're going to spread these bulls out. They're going to start making some shots and create some driving lanes for guys like Isaiah and Brown and even Smart. And, and even we saw, you know, you know, Jay was taken to the rack. I think if those things happen, they'll win comfortably by 15 or so. And then the real battle will be what happens in Chicago in games three and four. Yep. I, I think you're right about that. And the, and to, to just elaborate on, or to add one thing to your, to your notes before we, before we shut it down is yes, Chicago's longer and they're better rebounders, but that interior defense is not strong and it should be exploited in game two. That's what I think. I think we, I think we'll see them attack that interior defense a ton more. And, you know, quite frankly, Dwayne Wade's defense should be attacked more. Um, yes. and, and they did not do that very well and they should do much, they should, uh, attack much, much stronger. Maybe even with Jalen Brown. I'm not exactly sure how and maybe that's why he, maybe that's why your prediction comes true is they put him in that lineup that way. Maybe he's the first sub off the bench for Bradley and they try to transition something along those lines and he goes right at Dwayne Wade. But that's what they should be doing. They should definitely be attacking, uh, his defense and that interior defense. So we'll see how it goes, but this show will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as CLNSRadio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. Join us on Tuesday after Game 2 Celtics and Bulls live. We'll be taking your calls. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you tune in on Tuesday. You can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to rate and review the show. Your feedback is important to us. And a reminder, today's show brought to you by... Seek Geek and Blue Apron. They have a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you'd be supporting the show and the network. And a big thanks to the loyal CLNS radio audience making it all worthwhile for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS radio Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.